0: What's up everybody, my name is Director Brazil and welcome to my podcast. Today we have a very special guest, his name is GL Joe. Now if you're not familiar with him, Joe is a music video and concert creative director and producer who has worked with some of the biggest artists in the world. His credits include Billie Eilish, Fall Out Boy, Alicia Keys, Gucci Mane, Jack Harlow, Jennifer Hudson, Chance the Rapper, I mean he's worked with everybody And as a matter of fact, we met 20 years ago when we were kids, just filming our friends skating, and we had dreams of one day being professional creatives. And it's been beautiful to watch the journey of how we have evolved, and I'm glad he was able to sit down with us and share his story. So enjoy the podcast, and if you like what we're doing here with new episodes every Wednesday, please make sure you like, comment, subscribe, share with your friends. We have some amazing guests coming, so thank you for supporting us, and here we go. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome everybody to the podcast. I'm here with my boy, Joe Escovo. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing good
1: over here in Chicago right now. Uh, The weather is fall and it's my favorite season. So this is, it's, I'm actually really excited. I get to wear, you know, I get to wear my beanie now. You know? What up, Julian Ba?
0: That's a fresh one. Um, I love fall weather. It's sweater weather.
1: Yeah. Cuddle weather. (laughs) Cuddle weather, cuffing season.
0: Exactly. Uh, so tell the people what is it that you do?
1: Um, so uh, yeah, my names Joe Esquivel, also known as GL Joe, and I'm a, uh, a director, creative producer, creative problem solver. Like a lot of times people hire me because of I'm like a Swiss Army knife and um, they're just like, oh we bring this guy on. he's gonna solve a lot of these problems that we have. You know my my thing is, you know I've never missed a day. Like, uh, you know, show day, like we always, it, you know, there might be fire after fire, you know, that because of things happen, you know, that might be put out. But no matter what, when it times a call, action, or it's ready to start that live show, everything is always there. And like, I have a really good track record with that. It's so like, I don't know why I just, the universe has me connected. And I'll just sit there and be like, I need to find this in the next two hours. And then magically it appears.
0: I bet that's such an exercise for life, you know, in terms of just like every time there's a problem, it's just an opportunity for us to solve it. You know, like <laughs> your your job literally every day is like, they hand you problems. They say, hey, oh, we need a, a blue staircase with clouds at the top of it. And you're like, all right, where the hell do I find that? And then you just go about making it happen, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just got off a call now where I can't talk too much about it right now, but I can say a little, it's uh, for a big installation that'll be happening in... Saudi
0: Arabia and really?
1: you know, you know, and I thought this is like, oh, Saudi Arabia, they're gonna give us a budget like this big. And they're like, no, it's this. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know if we could do that. Right. <laughs> so now my job, I'm like, but I still want to go to Saudi Arabia. So now that problem is fit this into there while still making my money that I need to make to do the job.
0: Yeah. And, do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy solving problems?
1: oh yeah that's that's my favorite part my favorite part is just like oh you know like just to figure it out like oh we have this and then it's just kind of nice because then when you come back in you're like yeah i figured it out it's just like everyone's like yeah you did it
0: oh and it's like (laughs) did you always have that mindset of solving problems or is this something you got as you were older
1: um the well i don't know um I, I think that's always been there because even like when i was i i would always i've so like i've never been hired from a job on a from like a job application but i know on all my job applications even when i was in high school i'd always write creative problem solver and like you know when they list your you know the things you're good at i remember like going to venture if anyone remembers the store venture if you're if you're old enough to uh it was you know the it was like a target but it was black and white with the the white and black sign, Virgil Ablas stole their logos and uh, because they're a deceased company. Um, but um, like I just remember, yeah, it I think I've always had that ability, even like when I was younger. If there was a problem, then it was fun to solve it, like and it was like smaller problems when we were younger, like where are we going skating, or now there's seven people, but we could only fit you know, five people in the car. So let's figure this out, you know, um, or you know, even the same with like playing with toys with the neighborhood kids, like just always, you know, organizing and solving the problem so everyone can have fun.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's kind of like the nature of life is solving problems, but I, I think, um, the, the culture of creativity is, is always problem solving. Like it, it's cause mm-hmm. you have something in your mind and you want to make it real. And then mm-hmm. you gotta go find the stuff to make it real. you don't always have what you need. So sometimes you just kind of make things happen as they go and it, and it becomes yeah. what the project wants to become. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about where it all started. Cause I first met you, I think I, I must've been like 11 or 12 years old. It was in Kentucky at like a Kentucky yeah. battle. Man. You just went you,
1: to it recently. Yeah. The, for the first time I'm in like going. 12 years.
0: Yeah. It yeah, was fantastic. yeah. I saw
1: that. I was watching your story. I was like dang, I wish I could be there. That'd be really fun. But, uh, yeah, I think we met uh, in in Lexington, right? Yeah. In uh Lexington, Kentucky, at that park you were at that you were skating. What park is it called? Woodland. Yeah, Woodland Park. I love that park. I remember every time I go to Kentucky, we'd go there, and I'm just like, man, this park is so cool because it was so creative. It was like a lot compacted into a little space.
0: Yeah. I I really like that park.
1: (laughs) Even though it's spoiled
0: out here in Cali, that park is just small with a lot of stuff. But yeah. I remember you were already, I considered you one of the quote unquote big kids with a night, with a good camera. I don't even know what camera you had back then, but you were like, oh, that's that guy you know, who's filming like, so, there was this aura about you that you were doing that already.
1: I, I probably didn't even have like a big camera yet. I think I only had like, like the Sony mini DV. It was like silver and like that cool blue that Sony uses sometimes. Yeah. And then I had like a, a death lens, like a baby death lens. That's what it was. Like, you 100.
0: had the, the fisheye lens on it. It looked yeah. so official. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 And that's what it was. Yeah. I had that little, that little Sony and that one was really cool. Cause I remember, um, the, uh, I got ex- like accepted into the life plus crew at motor city shakedown one year in Detroit. And like, it was just mainly cause they're like, they looked at me and I kind of knew Drew because he went to, Drew Bacharach, because he went to college in Chicago. So we we knew of each other, but I remember was at Motor City Shakedown and they're all like, hey man, we like the way you dress and you seem to be getting all the angles. You want to come hang with us?
0: And I was just like, <laughs>
1: yeah, I was like, okay. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And uh, I think it was around that time that I was like heavy going to all the skate competitions and that's when I would have went to Lexington and, and met you out there.
0: Yeah, was sk- filming skating the first thing you did with a camera?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I knew in 7th grade like I was sitting there in in English class and I remember and we were talking about like what we wanted to do and I remember drawing like anarchy symbols all over my folder and like the Marilyn Manson fish symbol and like all of this other shit and and then I remember uh like it was kind of like a like a white light like washed over me type thing and it's just like oh i know what i'm gonna i know what i want to do i and this is what i'm gonna do and it was like it wasn't like a clear defined like i'm gonna do this it was like i know that i i've been watching mtv you know since like 92 93 till till then you know at that point it was in 1997 wearing jankos and shit those giant pants (laughs) and like i just remember i wanted to be a part of that I like wanted to be a part of that world, you know, that music world creating because of like, I remember music videos having such a huge impact on me with like Michelle Gondry and like uh, all those other guys out there and that making these incredible music videos, you know, that we're starting to see again, like there was a huge dip and then we're starting to see that creativity again yes. and it's beautiful and I'm really loving it. And, um, but like, I knew I wanted to be a part of that world, like TRL, whatever, the round musicians. And so, you know, I made a pact to myself saying like, Hey, when I get older, this is my, this is what I want to do. I want to make music videos. I want to create an impact on other people like these music videos had on me and I'm sp- lucky. I'm lucky. I'm like blessed that I had the outlet of skating. And because that's where I, you know, got my start and, you know, and, and like just getting a camera to film my friends because I wasn't the best one. So it was just like, and I like, I knew I wanted to do that. So I got the camera and started filming everyone. And, uh, it was, it was really good. And, and like, and then I started making edits and then I just knew that I'm like, okay. And it's funny because then like, I was like, all right, well, the people I'm like, no hate to any of my homies, but like the people that i i was filming also weren't the best right so i'm just like well how am i going to get my edits seen so then i just started doing crazy things like editing wise and i started like taking the things i would see in music videos and like entering them and this is like in the year like 2000 2001 2002 it's funny because i say this and when back then i got like such great feedback on them when i look back at them i'm like Yo, that looks so cut and paste, like DIY, yeah. it looks so bad. Why would anyone ever think that would, that look good? But you know, like when you put yourself in the year 2000, you know, all of this technology is brand new. I remember new.
0: that you would do these edits where you'd have pieces of paper and you would ball the paper up. It, there was like a lot of uh, real creative transitions between them. I remember seeing yeah. that before I moved to Chicago, you had these windy city edits that were just so interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you know, and I would put myself in my edits, too, which I never saw anyone really doing as like a little character. And um, those things, you know, and then it worked, because then as I was going to different competitions, people were like, that's GL Joe, I saw him in the, oh, that's, G. you know, and I'm just, you know, I'm not in any magazines, there and there was no, like, social media back then. It was just people watching my edits that I would post on message boards and then, you know, then they would, uh, like pick up traction and everyone would see them. And then my friend, uh, Dan Liefeld at BMAG, he liked them before we were even friends, he liked them. And then he would write about them in the BMAG magazine and tell people to look out for me and stuff like that. And that was really cool. And, you know, and that worked It was just like, Oh, I'm going to, I even made one where, uh, I took all like I recreated skate spots like rudimentary and I created a stop motion character of them skating the skate spots. It was to Sean Callahan. And then I had a green screen behind them and you can see the real trick and then the stop motion, you know, uh, character in front.
0: Dude, that was, and, those were really creative edits. I remember seeing yeah. them, exactly what you described, being from out yeah. of town, seeing your edits and being like, oh, that's that dude that makes those really creative edits. <laughs> <laughs> there yeah. was definitely an, an aura about you. And were your parents supportive of this? Were they down with the creative world, the skate world?
1: Uh, yeah, my mom was. My mom was super supportive in the way, like she didn't like take me to all the places or she just let me do my thing. She never said, no, what you're doing is bad you know know what you're doing no you should be going in this direction she would always just be like watch it like okay cool they're doing something you know and then you know because even when we're younger because of skating I was me and my friends we started a clothing lineup and and uh you know and my mom was seeing like oh my god you know like look at they're doing these things at young ages my dad on the other hand was just like like uh, my parents are split. So I lived with my mom. And so my mom, you know, like my mom let me do my thing. Even on school nights, we'd be out skating. And she knew that. And I'd come home at t- midnight, but she, you know, she was like, well, I know you all are not doing crazy things. Like you're doing crazy things, but on skates <laughs> to make a video, you know, like yeah, she understood yeah. it. And like my dad would just be like, Oh no, you can't, you can't, you just can't waste your summer, not playing any sports. Like, blah blah. you know, you need to learn te- you know, team sports. So you learn teamwork. And I'm just like, I learned so much teamwork from skating. Like if you're the filmer, then it is your job to set up the session, where you're going, who's coming, you know, like you need to yeah. have, set all that up. And, and I, and, you know, as I'm saying this now, that was just like my school to becoming a producer because that's what a producer does. It's like, Oh, we got this job. Okay. Well then we need to go here. This area has the most spots, most bang for your buck for spots. So let's go to this college town. You know, let's go to, oh, it's hilly in these areas. It's flat in Chicago. We want stair rails. So let's go where it's hilly and there'll be tons of handrails, you know, creative problem solving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Creative problem solving. And um, uh, what was the question?
0: No, you're just flowing. I think you're just flowing just about, about uh, skating and creating media, and how it started with skating. Yeah. And then your, your parents supporting you. Your dad. Oh who was yes. to play team yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: and even 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 when I got into my career and started making like big waves, my dad was still like, "That's cool, but now you should just go get a job where you work nine to five and you have health insurance." And I'm just like what? Like, dad, look, I was just in Rolling Stone. And and he's just like, I don't get it. But you should just stop what you're doing. And like, go back to college and get like a slave job. And I'm just like, that, that makes no sense to me. Where, But it, and now that I said to him, like, on my dad's side, that's all what they did. On my mom's side, my grandpa was a serial entrepreneur. So they're used to like, and then they are all kind of that way on my mom's side. And so that kind of thinking, you know, was very normal to them. Whereas my dad's side was very blue collar, you know, like you get a police job or you work at the the iron mills or, you know, or you're a nurse or, you know what I'm you, saying? Your dad like, was an officer? Yeah, he was Chicago police, which was a very fun thing to pull out of my pocket every time we were getting arrested. <laughs> <laughs> my my dad's a chicago cop and they'd be like oh let him go where does he work and i'd be like first district he's a hate crime investigator they'd be like why didn't you say that earlier before we put you in the cuffs you know and everyone would always and it'd be funny because everyone would be like joe say it just tell them your dad's a cop and i'd be like and it's funny because we'll be out of like out of state and the people's and i'm like it doesn't work And they're like, just say, get us out of trouble. And I'm like, I'll say it. And they'll look at me and they'll be just like, that's in Chicago. You're not in Chicago. You're in Indianapolis. Like, that doesn't work.
0: (laughs) How old were you when you first got arrested? My first time getting arrested was in Chicago. I must have been like 14 years old. I was at Millennium Park. For skating? Yeah, for skating, of course.
1: Oh, that's funny. Well, I would say my first time getting arrested was in eighth grade for graffiti. And they came and pulled me out of – they pulled me out of – school uh the cops did uh like they had evidence that you did it or something oh yeah (laughs) they had super big evidence because i'm an (laughs) idiot it was at a spot i was skating and it wasn't even like spray paint graffiti and like i was skating this like we'd always skate this bank every day and they'd kick us out it was like you know the constant the police show up they chase you around the neighborhood you know type thing so the cops knew us and then like they had just laid wet cement. So we like, you know, I wrote anarchy in it and like skate or die. Um, and like, then I forgot that, you know, obviously there's cameras at banks and we did a significant, Oh, it was a money bank.
0: I thought you meant like a bank skate spot, like a slanted slope of cement. You meant like a money bank. A
1: financial bank. Yes. Yes. A place to, (laughs) to, you know, put your money in. And uh, so the cops looked at it and they were just like, oh, I know that kid. And like, you know, so they, they came and got me. Um, but I, I, uh, for skating, I got arrested under the Patriot Act once for skating a train station in Markham, Illinois.
0: Really? And what is yeah, the Patriot was, Act? What was it about?
1: The Patriot Act was that act they put in on after 9-11 happened. Or they could just arrest, they're just like, this is the Patriot Act and they could just arrest you. Like, you know, um, if you, if they think you're doing terrorist like activities, then, you know, your rights are gone and they could just arrest you. And it was like me, Scotty B, the dark one, Dave. Uh, I can't remember who else was with us. I think my brother was with us, Anthony. Um, Man, I can't remember. I don't know if Matthias was with us or not, but I can't remember. But I just, I do remember we were there to film Dave do this giant kinked rail, and it was in markham so we're just like we're fine Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden a cop pulls up and pulls his guns out like and we're just like what is going on and like you know he's so serious and he's just like yelling at us and like what are you doing with that camera and i'm just like filming my and my friend dave was like sliding down the rail like i'm filming that and then like he was just like very serious and then like two other cops roll up and they're like, bro, it's not that serious. They're just skating. And this, but the cop, the first cop to pull up was a white shirt. So, you know, he was their boss and he was just like, do you know how dangerous this neighborhood is? And I'm just like, no, it's not. I was like being very combative. I was just like, it's not. dangerous. I live right over there. And like, this is Markham. And he was like, well, there was guys shooting semi-automatic guns last week. I'm like, okay, but that has nothing. Yeah, that was like, on some gang shit. Like we're skating. That has nothing to do with us. Like those two things, are separate worlds and like just because that happened doesn't make this area completely unsafe you know i live in the west loop right now and there's drive-by shootings you know at least once a month and like this is one of the most affluent neighborhoods in chicago and it doesn't make it the worst neighborhood in the world you know it's a problem that america has with gun yeah. violence like yeah. like you know <laughs> but um not to sidetrack but they. It was funny because the two cops the that he made arrest us. They didn't want to arrest us because they're like, this is silly, and like it was fun because when we went to jail, they're like, oh, everyone's sitting in the cell, and I tried to do them. my, my dad's a cop, and they're just like, well, this is the Canadian Railroad. We're arresting you under the Patriot Act. Like your dad's a cop's not working, and I was like, shit, and so they they put all my friends in a cell. And then I got to sit in the police station with them and watch my friends on the TV as they just sit there and fidget in their cells. And like, uh, they wanted me to show them the footage. And so I showed them and they're just like, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know why our, you know. Uh,
0: oh, they made you superior. the back of the skate clips.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They were watching it. They wanted to see it. They're just yeah. like, I just want to see what you were doing with the camera because under the Patriot Act, you're not allowed to film train stations, you know, and that's got illegal it. now because you could sell it to terrorists and they can blow up the train line or whatever. And, and they're just like, obviously that's not what you all do. And, you know, so I show them that it was like, okay, and we had to go to court for it. And I felt so bad for the police that are that, that were forced to arrest us because we all went into court and we're all there. It was like a Thursday morning. And we were the only case too. So the judge had to come to work just for our, our, our case. And, um, he I remember he, we all had to get a lawyer and then our lawyer speaks and then I remember I as I talked and I was just like oh yeah you're on there because he was just like wait you were just skating I don't get it why are they here if they're just skating and I just them and then I explained to them what type of skating and I and I had the camera you know with me to show them that day and he was just like he looks at the cops and he's just like you guys are seriously wasting my time for a bunch of kids rollerblading downstairs. Like you, you, you know, and like, and he went in. He dismissed us. <laughs> he was like, "You guys are all dismissed." And when we when the door shut, we could hear the judge screaming at the t- top of his lungs, wow. like uh, how much money was wasted, how much. And I felt so bad because it wasn't their fault. Fo- like they, it were was the, up, the same- higher
0: up that told him. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, and like they, they, I was just like, damn, they wasn't. There. I wanted to run back in there, and be like, it wasn't them. It was their boss, <laughs> like yell at their boss. But I was yeah. just like, we're out of here. Like it was, it, but that was, yeah. I mean, I've I've been messed with a lot. It's funny because of we, you know, we would skate in what people consider bad neighborhoods. They're just neighborhoods, and there's a couple bad people in them, and and uh, people would always be like, well, don't you guys get messed with the gangs or whatever? And I'm like, no, they're out there clapping like paying us bringing drinks for us the only people i've ever had problems with on the streets is the police is the police like and so that's what people like wasn't your dad a cop i'm like yeah my dad is a cop but like also the only people i have problems with are the police ever like i've had police put guns to our heads for skating you know i remember once they pulled up and it was with matt ledusky and like they saw that and that Matt Liduski, you know, was very uncomfortable with them pointing guns at us. Right. And he was kind of having like a small panic attack. And so they antagonize him even more. They like, you know, scare him even more. They put handcuffs on him, throw him in the back of the car or making jokes at him. And it's just like, you know, it, and I'm like, bro, this is, you know, and then all of a sudden I had yet to drop my dad's a cop. And then I'm like, oh, by the way, my dad is a Chicago police officer. He's a hate crime investigator. He's above you. And I'm telling. And then instantly they're just like, click, 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 click. Sorry, we're just having fun. I, you know, we, we, we didn't mean to, uh, you know, get in blah, blah, blah. And they just let us go and they left. Wow. And like, Yeah, and it's funny because I've had like gangbangers point guns at me, never scared. Cops point guns at me, I'm like, I'm terrified because I know (laughs) nothing will happen if they pull the trigger, you know, and and like...
0: It's wild, man. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I've probably been arrested five different times, all all for skating, once for filming a dance battle in Chicago, and then same thing, cop came, basically broke my camera, put me in the back of a car. For a dance battle? yeah. Yeah, and then as I'm handcuffed, he like literally says, oh, you think you're funny? You think you're going to film us? Punches me in the face. I'm like bleeding. They put me in jail overnight, and the footwork kings had to bail me out. That was when I was filming their documentary when they were on AGC. Yeah, I remember that.
1: I remember and, that. Um, oh, man.
0: Yeah. They literally, the cops took the tape out of my camera and recorded over it. Like, I saw them do it. They, they were in Chicago Heights, like deep, deep in the, you know, oh, the south side. Yeah. yeah, it was wild, Shout out man. to
1: Denny Horn. Um, <laughs> little Denny, he's from Chicago Heights. Um, I, yeah, I had another time where it was during a skate comp and they threw me in the back. It was like a hot summer day and they threw me in the back of the car and then they blasted the heat and then they got out of it and they were just, I was just sweating and it was crazy. I was on Michigan Avenue, just sitting in this cop car, like sweating. And like, I was thirsty and hot. Mm -hmm. And then I saw my dad walking, just walking down the street and like he, which he lives nowhere near there. He never goes on Michigan Avenue. He just stays on the South side. And, like, I saw him, so I start kicking the window with my feet. And my dad looks, and he's just, like, it took him a second to be, like, wait, that's my son in the back of that car, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then he just went, and he was, like, and he went and talked to the police. And, they, and it's funny, because there's two of us back there. And they only let me out. I was, like, Dad, you need to let him out, too, because he didn't do – he did not he did less. I, like, I – yeah, I antagonized the police just because, you know, like, I knew I could – I have the card. So I was yeah. a little dick to him. It's, like, this guy was literally sitting there and just grabbed him and threw him in the back of the car. And like, you know, and, and as I was walking, you know, I, it's funny because my dad never answered these questions. And I'm just like, so dad, is this what you do to other people at work? And like, you know, I was like drilling him. I'm like, so you guys just grab random people, rough them up for no reason, throw them. And he like, wouldn't answer me. And I was like, oh, so I, t- I didn't even say this. So I was like, so I take it from your silence. You're one of those cops too. And I was like, well, then at this point I told him, I was like, I lost a lot of respect for you and like if this is what you guys are all running around doing and you know i just told him that i was just like no dude because me and him we always butted heads and that was like another excuse for me to butt heads with him you know as i was younger to be like bro this is what you're doing like look what they did to me and you're out there doing that to other kids so hopefully maybe that changed his
0: perspective but i I highly doubt it you know how police are have you guys talked a lot about that since then are you guys close now or no no we're not (laughs) close um But we've
1: we've talked, there's one good thing that when, you know, a lot of the police stuff, you know, like is going out in the media. One good thing is that he had said that kind of changed my perspective on things is he goes, look at the police getting off. Look at who they're connected to in the background. And look at the police who are getting caught and then getting charged. And then look who they're not connected to in the background. And then also he was just saying, he's like, they're, as he said this a while ago, like six, maybe eight years ago, he was just like, hey, there are people in this government that are right now trying to, to, to divide us. And they're using the police to make that divide. And he said that eight years ago, you know, before all of this, yeah. you know, blew up and everything that was it may have even been 10 years ago that he said that to me. And, you know, uh, and I was just like, huh, I never I never really thought about it, you know, like that
0: forces that, the powers that the be high, so to speak yeah
1: yeah he said there, there are powers out there that are trying to divide this country right now and they're going to and they're going to be using the police to make that divide and then he'll you know and he also had said too like and also the ones the police that are getting off look look at what look at what you know look at their background look who they're connected to politically look at the you know like do they have a brother uncle you know, a friend who's does this, that, and the other, and is just like, Oh, this one magically disappeared. And now he's off. Wow. But, I, you know, as we see things are starting to turn around, the, uh, that one kid I think isn't Justin McCain or no, no, not just, I can't remember his name. The one who the, the kid that was wearing the ski mask that they killed uh, because he was walking down and they gave him uh, ketamine to calm him down. And they, both those police and the two paramedics, they all got uh, first degree manslaughter. Jeez. So that's, that's good. You know, we're going into a, a right direction. It, you know, it's not like, it's just, we just, like, if you do bad at your job, if I do bad at my job, I'm held accountable. And I think that's all anyone's asking for. is just, you do bad at your job, you need to suffer the consequences of, and not a slap on the wrist for taking someone's life. No, you're out of here. Like, yeah, and, it's
0: just, just accountability. Yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, that's it. That's all. anyone wants It's just like no, just do that, and we'll be happy. Everyone will be happy. It's like, oh, you killed someone wrongfully. You go to jail. Okay, done, and there will be no. There'll be nothing. People and will and be that's happy. a
0: and that's qualified immunity, right? That's the the thing yeah. that kind of prevents that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it's funny. I think Chris Rock made a joke about that. That like some jobs you can't have bad apples, like pilots. <laughs> You can't. Yeah. Like, well, most of our pilots like to land the plane. <laughs> we yeah. have a few bad apples.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So, when did it transition from you creating media with skating to music videos and actually getting into the the culture?
1: So, um, uh, my friend Colin Martin, his brother Bryn. We all know Colin Martin. If you're a rollerblader, you know Colin Martin. Like four years ago, he changed the way people look at skate tricks. You know, he like he was one of those one of those yeah. people and 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 he was always like a heavy critic of my skate edits. i would always because he ran a website called fruitboot.com and i would always send my edits to be posted there but he would always review them and be like i'm not posting this until you make these changes. He was like actually kind of like an editor and it would just and I'm sure he would post it but he was just like, yo you should really it, there were like very like common things like hey, you should really add people's names in your edits and it was just me being lazy and i'm just like oh, i don't want to go through and name you know like and some of these people i don't know who they are and yeah. but no, he would make me go back and add names or he'd be like yo this is too chaotic you know like why don't yeah. you add more skating to it or you know he would just you know critique it and um and then i ended up doing uh, a music video for his brother that was my first music it was a stop motion music video and it was for his brother, Bryn. Um, oh, I can't remember. I love, his brother Bryn made such great music that if it was coming out now, it was so ahead of its time. I really wish he had the outlets that he had now because I think he would he would do very well. He was putting out like an album a month. You know, this is before the whole mixtape scene was big. Like, But he wasn't rapping. It was just like cool, cool, like indie electronic folk music and uh it, it was really really cool and i made that one little video and then to be honest it was you and then morocco vaughn who like pulled me out of my basement and was just like oh hey you guys you want to edit this documentary for these rappers called cash ball and roller boy
0: and oh, that, those two that was drug the first dealers- project
1: <laughs> yeah those two drug dealer guys from uh milwaukee, M- milwaukee was yeah is that the one with the
0: cover that said uh silence is golden but my duct tape is silver
1: silver yeah i i would put that at the end of a lot of edits that i would make of him saying that you know he'd be like you know silence is golden but my duct tape is silver and he'd pull out two like things of cash and be like right here this be your life and like i was just so shocked by um because of when i am my hip-hop that i always listened to was very like uh, backpack hip hop, indie, indie hip hop. You know, I like stayed away from the mainstream when I was younger, I stayed away. Anything mainstream it wasn't just hop. I was like, Oh, mainstream. No, I'm, you know, like, right. Oh no, I'm yeah. Like I, I'm underground. I don't listen to like music. Nobody's heard of, you know, <laughs> and, and like used to carry that like little attitude about just being like, Oh, you never heard of that. What? Oh, you know um, I try to stop that. I tend to, People call me out on it still. I'm like, well, You never saw that? I'm like, well, I I'm like, sorry, I just got excited. Um, but yeah, that that's that was the job that had me move out because, well, I, I never got paid for, it. and like, I was like, oh, this amount of money—that's actually six months of rent. So then I moved in with Sean Callahan, and I had the down payment that I think I got from it, and so I was able to pay like three months' rent, and then eventually I like like went away and then they well because they got locked up and they both went to prison and so then the project never got finished and uh you know i never finished getting paid uh from that one unfortunately but it was a, a great footage and experience
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was insane like these guys i'm like you guys are this is incriminating i was like looking through this footage just being like bro this is incriminating like you know, no wonder why you all got caught and went to jail. Like, you guys are literally filming. Like, look at all the pounds of drugs and look at all the money. And You know, and I'm just like, you have them in the same shot in the same room. It's like, like the, the, the Confessions
0: that. of a Rapper skit on Key & Keele. Yeah. And Keel yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay, so tell me about the story of this Chicago legend named uh, Dick for Dollars and oh, how he yeah. came about. Who is Dick for Dollars? Yes, yeah, so that
1: man. The man with the German-sounding name—it's Dickford Ollers. Uh, that came—that came about because when I finally did break into like doing hip-hop music videos for actual like you know people on the radio, I my whole goal you know was coming from the early days of MTV where the videos were just insane, and I wanted to do these insane videos. I like that was I felt like that was my purpose. Like no, because of uh, in hip-hop at the time it was just literally like just your whole squad in front of the camera. And you're just wrapped with weapons, or not weapons, but just everyone there with their shirts off, just getting rowdy. And I'm just like, at first, that was cool when Cash Money came out with that. When they first did that with that juvenile video and the Lil Wayne videos, and they're in their neighborhood, you're just like, that shit is sick. But then all of a sudden, that was then every video. And I was like, what happened to all the cool Hype Williams videos? And what happened to you know, like all the other like really cool hip hop videos? They like just disappeared because they found out it's like way cheaper you just one day 50 minutes and you get everyone in one shot and then three cameras and you just cut it together and you get a couple girls dancing and then you're done right. and like and so i really wanted to like go back to you know these really cool thought out music videos and that was like my mission and i finally got like it was like a it was a decent budget and it was with bun b and uh bunby freddie gibbs chuck english and chip the ripper and i was just like yeah and i was like oh this is going to be great i pitched them my idea and they're like we love it and it was going to be super cool and then but it was in austin texas so we me and my whole crew we all get in the car and we drive down to austin texas and we uh you know we 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 are about like we're location scouting. We're finding all these places to fit my idea. And then out of nowhere, I get a call. I think, no, it wasn't the night before, but it was like two nights before. And I get a call from the producer, not like, like the music producer, the guy who made the song. And he was just like, Hey, and he was my friend. And he was just like, Joe, I hate to do this to you, but bun B just wants to do a parking lot video. And I was like, well, that's, no, you guys, no, that's not why you hired me. Like you hired me to not do a parking lot video. Like that's the whole point of my mission. And, you know, and I, and they're just like, there's no, like Bun B doesn't want to put all, all this time into it, you know? And as I'm older, I get it. Like, I totally get it now. If This isn't your song as you know, a, a big person like Bun B, why would you put in a 12 hour day? You're not getting paid. It's not your song. Why would you put in a 12-hour day for this? You know what I'm saying? Like, totally yeah. understand it now. But but when I'm little, I'm just like, what? Why don't you want to create this magic? You know, and it's like making me mad. And I just remember finally being like, all right, fine. I'll do it. But I'm not putting my name on it. And they're like, well, this is going on MTV. So what do you want your name to be? And I just felt like I was selling myself out. So I was just like, dick for dollars. I was like, that's what I feel like right now. Dick for dollars. Like, I feel like I'm just giving dick for dollars. I feel like a prostitute right now. And so, but I, you know, I at least gave them an interesting way to spell it, which its first name is Dickford, D-I-C-H-F-U-R-D, you know, and then last name, A-H-L-E-R-S, Allers. So when you say it together, it's Dickford Olers. And like, but MTV, for some reason, put it as D-I-K, the number four, D-O-L-L-A-Z. So it says, yeah. So on MTV, it came up as directed by Dick Ford Dollars, And I was just like, wait, I was like, that's, that's kind of cool. But also that's not, I'd even send that. I found out later uh, that my friend Rich, the one who produced it, produced the song, he changed it because of like, they didn't get it. So he was just like, well, I'm going to help Joe out and make sure understand that this says dick four dollars and you know because he was with me too he was like well yeah it's my song i want you to make yeah. the best video you can make but i mean we ended up making a really good video at the end of the day you know like a parking lot video can still be that's what i learned too is after that is like, a, like a parking lot video can be uh exciting and and interesting you know you just it's it's up to me to make it you know interesting within the edit and all that And it turned out pretty good. Um, It did. It did well. It got all. This was like right at the time though, things were still on TV. So a lot of the viewership was on TV. And it's funny because like recently, I posted it up that music video on my Instagram, and about it once or twice a week, I'll get like a random message from some random person, be like, "Oh, you made this video. I used to watch this, or I used to wait up for this video. You know, when I was in college in my dorm." And I loved when this, you know, when this song came on, I was like, oh, cool. I didn't I didn't know that because it doesn't have that many views. Yeah, because it doesn't have that many views on YouTube. You know, it only has like, I think, like half a million. But like I said, back then, that was a lot, you know, like, you know, in the year 2008, you know, when YouTube was only like a year old, like getting half a mil on your music video was a lot.
0: Yeah. And plus back then it, it was seen on TV. So I'm sure that had a whole different audience. It's funny because there's the the art that we think we're making and then there's the art that we're actually making. And sometimes we can be Mm -hmm. so in love with the art that we think we're making that we don't see the value in the art that is actually coming out. You know, and then like you said, then when other people see it, because I'm so hard on myself about all my edits. And then when people give me compliments about them, it takes me a minute to realize, okay, wait a minute, it it made somebody else happy. So that's a good thing, even though I Mm -hmm. see the hundred things that could have been better with it, you know, (laughs) I have such a tally of all the ways it could have improved.
1: Oh yeah, I do that with everyone after I finish a project and it's edited and it's out to the world. I'm like, hate it, don't even watch it. And then like three months later, I'm like, yo, this was fire. I'm like, yes, this, <laughs> this was really good.
0: You have to like detach from the project and then look at it as like an outsider and be like, that's not too bad. <laughs> yeah. So uh, tell me about working with Chance. I know he was, uh, I know you've worked with a lot of major artists and we can go through, you know, some of the, the highlights mm-hmm. of, of the career. But uh, I remember distinctly you telling me about Chance the Rapper, long before he was big. Like, like I think pre Acid Rap, you were telling yeah. me about him. Yeah, um, you were working um, with him in Chicago. How did that start, and what was that journey like?
1: So that that was. Um, so I, I was I already had a, a, a name for myself as a music video director, and uh, you know I was still living in Chicago. And when he came out, I think he put out like it was like one song came out on Fake Shore Drive. And I heard it and I was just like, who's this? And, you know, I was reading the thing and it was just like, this is right before 10 Day came out. And it was like, he put out like a smaller EP that then the songs went on 10 Day. And he put out like this this uh, little EP and there was like one song I heard. And I was just like, whoever this is, is it. And this was right at the same time Chief Keef and like Fredo Santana and all of them were coming out. And they all like, and no one knows this, but they all came out at the same year, the same summer. They all released their music that same summer. Wow. And it's just that Chief Keith just catapulted right away. <clears throat> right, with the whole Chance drill had, thing. Yeah, and then Chance had this slow build and then exploded beyond what anyone could have imagined. But I knew right away. I was just like, this kid is it. And I I was um, Richie Velasquez from New York, right? Is that right? Richie Velasquez Skater. From yeah, Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't know where he's from. I just think of him in Woodward.
1: I, okay. Maybe that's not the Richie from New York, you know, the big dude from New York who's like running the scene out there. Oh my God. Why can't I remember his name? Um, but he's like an old, old school skater. I think his name's Richie. Um, anyways, he got, he does video production as well as we all us rollerbladers tend to do. Um, and he had a job coming to Chicago. So he hired me on, And it was for Nike, and it was going around. um, It was, like, filming all of these basketball people who were in high school who are now huge. I didn't even realize it. they're now, like, giant, you know, people. And um, I think one of them was, like, Jabari Parker. You mean success-wise
0: or height-wise or both?
1: Both, both. (laughs) No, in high school, they they were, like, 13 or 15 and, like, 7 feet tall already. But, yeah, so Nike had this thing where they came to Chicago and then, filmed all of these like top high school basketball players. And we went to their neighborhoods, did like a whole, like, you know, interview and documentary with the, each little thing and they needed music. And there was this one song out with Vic Mensa and Chance the Rapper called family. And it was like, and then my friends blended babies, they produced it. So I was just like, Oh, I could get, I can probably get permission for Nike to use this song. And, um, and that's how, like, I, but then I found out it was Chance's song. So then I had to go through Chance. So it was me trying to, it was funny because I, I learned later after we did Connect, was at that same time, Chance was trying to figure out how to get a hold of me because he wanted me to do one of his music videos. And then I was looking for him. At that time, he had, like, three different managers. And, like, so I'm, I'm like, finding who his managers are and sending these emails out and, like, trying to connect Nike with them. And, like, it just wasn't happening because of they were brand new, you know, like he was right, still in right. high school, like he didn't, like no one was checking their emails. And <laughs> by the time they did get back to me that, you know, the, that moment had already passed and they found music for that project. And, um, <clears throat> what was I going to say is they, uh, but then, you know, chance was just like, Oh, Hey, I want you to do my music videos. Cause I, I love black mags, loved everything you did with the cool kids. And, um, I'm a big fan of that. And so he, uh, but then at that time, then that was when 10 day was out already. The videos were, by the time we connected the video, directors were already all attached to like the songs that were going to get made. And it was his, it was like his roommate or his best friend at the time, which was, um, oh my God, what is his name? Um, uh, it'll come to me, but he wanted him to do all of his music videos for acid rap. So it had this cohesiveness. To right, the project, which right. makes sense. I'm like, oh yeah, that totally makes like that's actually a good move. You should. I even was just like encourage it. Like you should totally do that. And um so then, then he was just like, but do you want to make? He's like, I still want to work with you. Do you want to make my tour visuals or not even because he wasn't even on tour yet? Do you just want to like whenever I have a live show? Do you want to create the content that goes behind me? And I was just like, sure, never done that before, you know. And Pat, <laughs> his manager, would hit me up and be like, oh hey, I remember the first one I did was for his uh his thanksgiving show at the metro and and they told me two days before the show and they wanted visuals for every song and you know a lot of them we just use the music videos and then a lot of them i had to create new content i didn't even know i never even went to live shows to be honest like i never so i didn't know what that meant you know like oh we need just visuals behind me to play and i'm just like like mini music videos so i'm like creating these you know, like these pretty in-depth visuals in two days, and just using whatever I could and whatever knowledge I had, and I was like googling, you know, like oh, live show this and look, I'm like, oh, okay, so it's just like colors and swirls and you know, and figuring it out. And you know, I pulled through. We ran the show, and then I was just kind of like Chance's guy to make his tour or his concert live show visuals. And, you know, I did it for Lollapalooza, and I did it, you know, all these like little shows, and then right before acid rap came out i remember he had me listen to it and it was like pick some songs and uh write some videos for them for acid rap and i was like okay i did and it was for chain smoker and i like that song just stuck to me and i was like oh my god and we um I wrote the video, but then when we budgeted it out, like what we thought was a lot of money for a music video, you know, it was like 15 grand. And he was like, I don't have that type of money. And I was like, neither, you know, none of us do. (laughs) And so we were going to do a whole Kickstarter and like raise money to make it but but he ended up squashing that uh, just because he would he said he just you know as most artists would he's like I just feel weird asking my fans for money to make a music video you know like right. no I feel like I'm going to be big enough soon where I don't have to do that and then like that that went down and then and then after that then his then also I get a like chance to text me he's like hey I'm going to go on my own headlining tour do you want to do the visuals for it and I was like of course And then Pat calls me and goes, hey, Chance said that you want to do the visuals. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I was like, as long as, you know, you could pay me, you know, like to be out there on the road, you know, I'm 100% okay with that. Let's do it. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we could figure out a number to send you out and, you know, be on the tour. And then all of a sudden Pat calls me back and he's just like, okay, so we're locked in. We can afford to pay you. But if you come on tour, you also have to program the lighting. And you have to build the stage every night. And then we, it's not, there's even not even design. You need to do the stage design and then you need to make all the content. And like, and I was just like, wait, I'm a music video director. I don't even go to live shows. So I don't even know what that means. <laughs> like I go to live shows, but they're always like underground, you right. know, basement shows or loft parties or raves, you know, which is a totally different production. Right. Like those are two different worlds. And, um, And so, you know, I was just like, all right, yeah, let's do this. Like, and I figured it out somehow magically. We brought in uh, who's now my business partner, uh, Mike Apostolis. Someone had knew him and he was still in high school at that time too. And so he couldn't even come on the road with us, but he was one of those like child prodigies that figured out like when I was younger, Oh, he was like 13. He was like, he went to his first concert. and was like, wait, what? This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And at 13, he he started seeking that out. And I remember he was telling me like when he was 14 or 50, before he was legally allowed to work, he found like the sleaziest rental house in Chicago. That'll let him come and start working. And they like, didn't pay him. They, he would just come and work and learn, you know, fixing the lights, cleaning the cords, you know, setting up stuff. And then by wow. the time, you know, he was like 18, you know, he knew his shit. So he came in and gave me a crash course. He was just like, Oh, Oh, You got. This is how you run the. You know your DMX to this one to this one. This is how you address the lights to the program. This is how you program them. And then, like he was helping me, we're coming up with ideas. You know, and we continue working together. And we have a company together now called Four Line Creative, where we've been doing. We were blessed. Our we thought like our whole world was collapsing when COVID happened because we're a live events company. But luckily I had the TV background and we just pivoted to doing everyone's late night performances. And I had all the connections to all the guys to film everything and to get it done. And, and luckily, you know, all of COVID we were, we were working. Um, you know, we did uh, a lot of big, you know, we did two Gucci Mane songs. We did a bunch of Pusha Icy, Lil Durk, uh, who else, oh, a ton of Jennifer Hudson stuff. She's amazing. Um Wow. And and we did all these different performances for all these award shows and late night shows and Ellen and we did Billie Eilish um and um yeah, I mean like that's amazing. That yeah. that, that that like that me chance calling me up and just being like, "Hey, do this. I know you could do it. Figure it out." Led like and I remember I went on that first tour and I remember the third show I was just like fuck music videos like <laughs> this is where it's at i remember sitting there and then because kids were coming up to me you know during the show being like this is the best show i've ever been to in my life like you this this you know thing changed my life blah 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 and like seeing that direct positive you yes. know you know back and then like just seeing it live and what i loved about the live show is it's up you do it and then you go home there is no like, oh, we got to digest the footage. And then my assistant editor has to look it up, And then you're still hanging on to the project a month later and the client wants right. notes and changes and all this stuff. And it's just like it's it's crazy because like you do so much more work in the video, like music video world and you get paid like a, an eighth of what you do in live. And yeah. like it, it was it was, you know, a really big eye opener. There's even artists that like I worked for, or as you know, uh, worked with like d- doing their music videos and they would throw like two G's at it. Like, Oh, and then show up in like a $10,000 outfit. Right. And then, then like throw two grand to the production music video. And then I've worked with them on their live end and we would just be like, Oh, this is going to cost 70 grand. I'm like, yeah, here, not even batting an eye. And you know, and I was just like, Whoa, like in the live world, you get so much more respect from these artists. They actually, when you tell them it costs this much, they're like, yeah, you know, like I wonder why can't... that is. Oh, I'll, I I figured out because there's a the the um was it direct return on
0: investment? What is that called? Yeah, a return on investment. Yeah, it's a direct yeah, ROI. Yeah,
1: ROI. Yeah, ROI. Because a tour general will generate them like twenty million dollars. A music video it's maybe expense, maybe yeah. It's an expense. Yeah, it's a tax write off, and maybe if it hits a billion views on YouTube, you made some money on it, right? Whereas a tour, every show you do, you're generating income. And right. that's why, you know? Just, and that's why I, I, yeah. I even, I I mean, you were both on that page, Black with no cream. And I always see music video directors complaining and crying about like, well, there's not enough, only 10 of music. It's like, well, first, make sure your shit's good, you know? And there's a par line. Like, and when I made my first music video, like real music video, it, I got like a Rolling stone speech. Like it blew up. And this is because if I knew there was a par line. If you want to make something good and make sure it looks as good as your favorite music video on, on TV or online. And yeah. if you're not doing that, then don't expect like, don't sit there and cry. Like, Oh, my stuff's, you know, no one's hiring me. It's like, well, cause you're not making good work, you know, like that's right up. Like just make better work. But then also I was seeing that, you know, even when they do get these projects, right. It's like, well, also like just go to live like live is going to pay you even as a live videographer you get paid more you know than being on set it's because that live event there's it's actually generating hundreds of thousands of dollars millions of dollars for that one night to exist and so there's money to pay you know people what they're worth and like no one cuts corners in that world You, you know sometimes they do yeah but like they generally don't. It's like either you have the budget or you don't. And,
0: it's and very real. It's present. The people can feel yeah. the value there, and if they like it, they'll want to go to the next show. It's music yeah. videos rarely ever made money, like you said, unless it just happened to be a hit video. Or mm-hmm. back in the day when people would buy iTunes music videos for like two bucks. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and that doesn't. And, that, and that's actually what happened to me as a music video director when I came out like into the scene, I was like, let's go, let's go. And I had people like Drake, this is like Drake early career mixtape Drake, right? hitting me up asking if I could do his music video for three grand, like including the travel going to Canada. I'm like, no, I can't do that. I wish I would have, you know, I wish I came from like, you know, like uh, a family of money where I didn't have, where I had that. Cause a lot of people I know that were, that became successful music video directors, they kind of had that cushion, right. To be able to be like, oh, I don't need to make money on this video. So, you know, I could put it all to this and, you know, and actually I could take more money and pump it into it and make a better video. And, and like, I didn't have any of that. And so, like, I had to say no to Atmosphere because he only had four grand to do a music video. And I had to say no to Drake. And I had to say no to Kid Cudi. And, you know, because there, I was like, wait, where did, that was when the record industry fell apart because no one was buying music anymore. And so no one was spending anything on music videos. And then, you know, my first music video I made, we had two grand, but I made it look like we had 60 grand. Everyone thought that video cost 60 grand.
0: Was it the Black Mags video?
1: Yeah, yeah, the Black Let's Mags. about talk about that, that, that,
0: that was, that's a, such a legendary moment in culture, like oh my for God, those who no, don't still... know, Black Mags, what is the Black Mags video? And what does it so, represent to you and to the culture?
1: I, I, it was a change, It was a, it was a shift. It was a huge shift in the culture because of at that time, it was all cash money. You know, it, it was all like, I don't, I don't even know who else was really big, but it was, it was all that, like just giant oversized clothing with the basketball jerseys down to your shins. And, you know, this giant Jabod, you know, pants with the straps and, you know, the flat brim with the stickers with the do and like, you know, it was just like in a chain that hanged down to your waist. It was just, huge yeah. and like making these big hits and then then the like the cool kids come out with wearing girl jeans and bright tight sweatshirts and like snapbacks you know like ha- it's crazy because like these we had to just to find now you can find them everywhere that wasn't the case like when we in 2006 2007 it was like floster domus the cool kids me and my friends we all found this place that had these dead stock you know uh hats from the 90s and late 80s and and like that's we would buy all those hats. I remember we all went to South by Southwest. This is before Floster dominance blew up and this is before the cool kids blew up and kid Sister and all of them. We all went in one like motorcade down there, all dressed and people would just be stopping us and being like, why are you dressed like that? Because no one was dressing in tight pants. Because like before tight pants, what we had to do to have tight pants is we would go into the gap, buy women's jeans, like they had flares on them and then we had to sew the flare away and then cut it. And then we would have tight pants. Like it was an actual, like you had to go out of your way to wear tight pants. So people are like, where do you get pants like that? First off, why are you wearing pants like that? And then what is all this like eighties, nineties, fresh Prince of Bel-Air, like swag, where are you guys finding this stuff? And it was this, this like spot on Milwaukee Avenue that just had like, it's gone now. It's a giant condo, but this building was amazing, and like it just had dead stock on dead stock of T-shirts and you know like from the eighties and nineties and hats and like and we all kept it a secret because we didn't want anyone else. Eventually, it blew up, and then everyone started pulling their dead stock out, and that became the new like you know odd future. They credit the like. There's been many interviews where they credit the music video Black Mags and the Cool Kids for like giving them like a oh a fashion to look like like to you know wow. i think even tyga who you've worked with has credited chuck yeah. english and mikey rocks from the cool kids for you know his fashion like oh i didn't know we could do that i didn't know rappers could dress like that no one else dressed like that and so like when we went to south by southwest we stole the stage we were the ones starting the party and then it was time for us to make a music video and it's funny because i was just a videographer i would like flustered i was friends with josh from flustered he actually rollerbladed and so I would film him because he's from the South side. And then he, you know, he was like one of the best. Even when you watch his sections now, you're just like, this is good today. Like <laughs> oh, this shit he was, was so ahead a legit of time.
0: Skater. I didn't know that.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. I'll send you his sections. He was like, oh, he, he true alleying with like the Frankie Morales all the way down Bicentennial back in the day. Like, oh my God, he's amazing. He took third at the second bitter cold showdown. No, he took second. He took second behind Jeff Stockwell. Wow one of the bitter cold showdowns like he was he was you know he's heated but then he like he was like he hurt his shoulder whereas every time he 40, his shoulder would dislocate so he's like he so he stopped skating because he was forced to stop and he started djing and then he became you know flustered like they had two waves and um so he would invite me out to before they were big, they would throw house parties and raves all over the city, warehouse parties, apartment parties. And I was just there to document it all. He'd call me out be like, I know you got a camera, come out, film our parties, get involved in the scene. I know you want to do, you always said you want to do music videos. Like, here's the door. Like, you know, like I'm going to help you get your foot in. And then it's, you'd go from there. And I remember one day we're sitting at, uh, like wings, we're eating wings and, the cool it was, it was funny because if i was hanging out with with chuck english and mikey rocks and i didn't realize they were the cool kids like we were hanging out for months and i just knew i like they only had two songs out and i as the cool kids and then it like dawned on I me mean, one day where are like oh yeah we're gonna put a new song i was like oh you guys make music and they're just like what do you need joe like i thought that's why <laughs> you're hanging out with us i was like no i was just hanging out with you because we all dress the same you know it's just like we all dress the same and we all wear the hats and the pants and like you know, in the retro bulls championship shirts. And yeah. I thought that's why we hung out. And, and then he's like, no. And and so I showed that I had my reel, which was all skating and stop motion. And I showed them that on my iPad or my iPod. That was when the iPod first was able to put videos on there.
0: Yeah. And
1: it wasn't the touch. It was like pre that. And I showed them that and they're like, Oh, then you should direct our first music video. And then, so like Evan, who's chuck english he invited me over to his house and we both took mushrooms and we're sitting in there tripping out right and like he makes the beat right then and there for black mags as he's making the beat you know it's just the beat and you know and like when rap i don't know if anyone knows this when most rappers when they're listening to beat they just go like like they figure out their their flow and then they start yeah. inserting words and rhymes to that like rhythm and there and he was just kind of doing that and then i wrote the music video for black mags you know or the idea of it right there while we're wow. both shrooming and he's making the beat and then i'm writing the music video and he's just like this is the song Joe this is the song you're going to make the video to and like you know and it was it was that song like it was black mags when went huge and again it's it, it well it doesn't say because it's like that was pre YouTube. Yes. YouTube was out, but that we dropped that video in 2007. YouTube came out in 2007, wow. you know? So like, so it, that view, that video, I think only has like a couple million views, but that video played, that was still when music videos were still played on MTV. Mm-hmm. That thing was on every day. And then they had like the, the that new MTV college channel that every college dorm had access to and so that was like a regular rotation that song and video and it was you know played in all of these uh commercials and you know NBA 2K and like you know all of this yeah. like it, it really blew up really big because of like no one had first no one seen a video like that in a long time. You know, everyone called me Baby Hype Williams after that music video. That's what Rolling Stone called it. They're just like, "Oh, it's the new Hype Williams." And I, you know, I didn't really making it. I didn't think that I'm like, "This is the par line," and you know, it needs to look like this. And and uh, and so, you know, when we made that video, we made sure it looked good. It was was isn't black and white people weren't making black and white videos, you know, at that time. Cause everyone wanted to be shiny and glitzy and like, make sure right. you see all the colors, you know? So we did that black and white video and then like that's like I said, the fashion and the way the video was and the song it all like came together to create, you know, I guess something important. Cause I'm literally like, I was at Riot Fest soon. We're all talking. And then someone mentioned black magazine and then, then like three kids, younger kids, Cause now it's like happened so long ago. I don't expect anyone unless they're my age to know about that video. Right. And there's like these three younger kids, they're like, wait, you did black max. And I was just like, wait, how old are you? I'm like, bro, you're like 22. You were like seven when that video, came. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, they're like I used to watch that video every day on TV like that. And I get this a lot, which is very amazing is, is, you know, to have this impact is so many times I hear people say that video is why I'm in video production or I'm because I'm a rapper or because like even chances said that recently, you know, Hey black, because of that music video and song, like that gave me courage to be a rapper. If I saw people from Chicago do it, then, you know, then I can do it too. And like just seeing, you know, and hearing those things all the time is very like, you know, it, it just feels good. You know, it, it's like cool. I, you know, I did, I did what I wanted to do in seventh grade. I did it first try. Like that was my point was to inspire. You know, make stuff that's going to inspire people. It's going to be a part of the zeitgeist. That's going to be, you know, a part of the bigger picture. And like first try, I did it. And it was actually kind of like, oh, I did it. Now what do I do? Like, you know, it's like, do I keep, you know, going up? But then I had this weird thing where I was just like, no, I'm gonna stay in Chicago. And like LA and New York is just like <laughs> this every day you need to get out here. You're not going to get any work. And I'm like, no, I'm staying in Chicago because they're, you know, I'm going to hold it down for the city, which was, which was dumb. Uh, like, don't do that. Leave. You could always claim your city. and You could always come back. Like I eventually did leave. Cause a, a producer I looked up to, he did that famous show called attack of the show with Olivia Munn. Like he made that show. He's from Chicago, went to LA, made that show, got big, came back and then gave me this advice. And he was just like, like you have to leave your hometown, whether even if it's New York or you're growing up in LA is like, because what happens is like, you need to go somewhere else and do big projects. And then when you come back, they'll give you whatever you want. Yeah. And like, come so back like the hometown he, hero. Yeah. And like, so I took that advice and I was just like, so I, I did. I went, you is, you brought me as funny. You pulled me out of the basement and then you pulled me to LA too. And, uh, it was when you were working with uh, I'm a beast with Janelle and all them, all the dancers and you and John pulled me out there and said, well, you guys saw the chance tour. And then we're just like, you took us to the acid rap
0: tour. I was like, yo, it's time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then, so when you guys saw that, then, you know, and then you guys had planned to do a live event, then you were like, Hey, we heard you might be moving out here. If you do, you have a job. And so then I was just like, Oh, then I'm moving if I have a job. Right. So you know, I moved out there and uh, did my four years, and you know, then saw how crazy rent was out there and <laughs> realized that the majority of my work is being like 80% of the work is literally done on a computer. And then you show up for production day, and I was just like, wait a second. And I remember like my daughter was getting older, and me and her were living in the studio, and so she was going to need her own bedroom soon. And so I was just like, Oh, so I started looking, I'm like, damn, these are for a one and a half bedroom. It's like $2,100 in the hood. And I'm just like, this isn't even a good neighborhood. And then I like, I got a series of big jobs in Chicago. The one was like for fallout boy, which that's, that's what that sign is from mania from the album. Okay. And, um, and they, hmm. uh, you know, and Mike, my business partner was just like, Hey Joe, maybe think about moving back to Chicago. So we got a lot of gigs, you know, coming up here and i was just like hold on i opened up zillow and just seen what rent was in chicago and i was like 2100 i could get a two bedroom condo with a view of lake michigan for 2100 dollars i was just like wow. I, I looked at him like i was just like yeah i was like my lease is up in 4 months i'm not moving you know i yeah. was just i mean I, i'm not staying in la i'm moving to chicago in 4 months like we're that's what we're doing and my daughter wanted to come back too and it's just cuz it's a better quality of life here for children in chicago and like um you know so I, I did i i came back but i we still worked actually for the first year i didn't tell anyone i moved from la because i didn't want to lose that work and i would right. just I, I you know i would just take the and like tickets like round trip tickets to la chicago are 140 if you plan it right so it's just like oh 140 out of my pay that's fine and i'll just crash at friends houses and like no one knew in the first year that i actually left i remember one time i was calling my friend alex Hidalgo, and i was just like Yo, uh can I stay on your couch? You know cuz where I was staying they left and and like they went out for the night and they're not going to be back and they forgot to leave the key. And he's just like, "Yeah, you can stay on my couch, but like is everything okay? Like I like did you get evicted? Like what's going on?" And I was just like, "What are you talking about?" And I'd already been living in Chicago for like six or seven months. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, no, I have my own apartment. He's just like, he's like, I, he's like, I, 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 you could stay here, but why can't you stay at your own apartment? And then I'm like, oh yeah. I, I, and I was just like, I live in Chicago now and I have for the past six months. And he's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And (laughs) He's like, that's why I'm always seeing you post in Chicago. Yeah. And like, but now, now we do it all the time. Fly in the morning of, do the job, and then take a red eye home. You know, so we're like literally in LA for one day, and then we come home that night. Yeah, and it's easy.
0: Let's talk about your daughter. How did having a kid affect your life, and what's that journey been like?
1: Um. Well, I mean, it's weird because like now when I think of it, it's hard to think of. Like when I think about all those times we were talking. know i was talking about the past like i feel like she was always there right like it's like i've always had a daughter i mean because you know for 12 years of my life now i've had a daughter
0: oh wow she's 12 Um, already
1: yeah yeah wow yeah it's been cool you know and and like um i have to remind her a lot of times and just let her know like this life you have and experience is not normal and luckily we live in the west loop where other kids lives are also not normal, you know, because of who their parents are and what their parents do for work. And so it's kind of, but when we, when we first moved here, I moved to Avondale, which was more of a working class neighborhood. She couldn't relate to anyone or, you know, and then when I would bring her friends out, they're just like, I remember like bringing their friends from Avondale, we would go downtown to art museums, And I remember her friend, Lily, she's just looking around at the buildings. And then all of a sudden she, under her breath, she goes, I've never been inside it before. And I'm like, I look at her, I'm like, what do you mean you've never been inside it before? She's like, I've only seen these things from the highway. And I'm like, wait, your parents have never taken you downtown. They go, no, it's too expensive. I'm like, Lily, we live right now next to the blue line. You just hop on that. And for free, you go, you know, or $2, you go downtown. And then once I told her, I was like, once you're down here, everything's pretty much free. I was like the parks, the playgrounds, the museums, like, you know, and I would take them and show them like the world and all this other like world that they didn't even know they had access to. But now we're over here, you know, she feels a little more comfortable and, you know, um, uh, with, with the kids and, you know, they kind of live her lifestyle a little like closer to her lifestyle that she's grown up on. But I mean, it's been fun. Like I've, she's been on set with me since she was three months old. You know, I remember, doing i think it was like a walk a of video i had her you know beamed up on my chest um you know like in the in the winter time just had her right here as her mom had to run some errands and like you know needed and i was just holding the baby while me and morocco were doing the walk a of video you know
0: is that and the one like, where your head gets blown off
1: oh yeah yeah i'm in there i got a nice cameo it's funny someone at like right when that video came out i was at six flags later and someone recognized me as the guy who got shot in the head in the walk Flocka flocker video and i was just like you i was like they're like looking at everyone's like they're like the whole group is staring at me and i was just like hey what's up you know because i didn't i don't like why are they staring at me and they are just like one kid was like are you you in a music video? And I was like, with Waka Flocka? And they're like, yeah. They're like, see, I knew it was that right? <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> Uh, That's awesome. And, and lovely. Yeah, does, she, does yeah, she like Chicago yeah. better?
1: Oh, she yeah. The whole time we were in LA, she did not like LA. She's like, it smells like pee. There's too many homeless people. It's I didn't realize how filthy LA is, how dirty. I thought, like, in my mind, I thought it was like the cleanest place ever. I get there and I'm just like, like, what? Like would they have no streets and sanitation? I was just like they one of the biggest economies in the world. They're actually like the fourth largest economy in the world if they were their own country and they have no streets and sanitation. I'm like, this makes zero sense. Like I don't I don't get where their money's going or what, but like that's another thing. And and yeah, and like the growing up with a daughter in this business, you know, I just brought her everywhere. So she was on set for the music videos uh, when I was in L.A. She was always, you know, when we were doing the m b stuff, you remember she was always mm-hmm. there yeah. hanging out. Um, and uh, still to this day, you know, I bring her down. She actually like when she was 11, she like uh, my friend Zach, he was doing this installation at the, the conservatory here in Chicago. And he got caught up on something. He's supposed to be putting up this installation there. And then she ended up directing it and like making sure everything went where it was because she was already comfortable on set. And I'm just like, yo, if you keep doing this Lily at like 16, like you have, you can have a job that pays more than, you know, a lot of like adults are getting paid. You know, it was just like, you know, and um, you know, and then we got her into roller skating when she was in LA um she took that really well and then and then she ended up getting sponsored by moxie roller skates like as their little moxie mini team wow. and then like yeah and then and unfortunately then when we moved to chicago there really wasn't like that supportive group that there wasn't an LA. oh i mean it was so supportive for her in la like every person was just like oh yeah you're a little mini that can skate like come on let's skate and then we got here in chicago and like the scene here was more like why is there a little kid here? You know, and it was just weird. All the women were just like, why is you bringing the kid? Cause you want us to watch, you know, like, like right. it was weird. It was a very standoffish and they wasn't very like sunny and happy as it was the scene in LA was. Um, and so that kind of like, she didn't feel comfortable and she just kind of stopped skating over time because she had no one to skate with. Right. Cause of LA there was hundreds of different people for her to skate with at any time. And we had all these, Amazing skate parks, you know, within 10 minutes, 15 minutes away. And then Chicago, you know, we had a few and they're just harder to get to around the city. And then when you go there, there's not, you know, a bunch of people skating. There's like a few people skating. Whereas in LA, it's like a, a session and a scene is built up around every, like, skate park yeah. you go to. And
0: that community aspect is so important to skating. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you mm-hmm. can do solo sessions if you want to, but, uh, you know, when I went back to Kentucky, this trip, just reconnecting with my friends and, like, everybody getting juiced to hit the same rail, mm-hmm. the same obstacle, and we're all cheering each other up. It's one of the things I love about it. It's, it's not necessarily like me skating against you, it's us raising the frequency together and we encourage each other to grow. So it's, that community is everything. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as we're, we're getting towards the end of this, I want to ask you just a couple final questions. Yeah. Um, just from your perspective, what's the mm-hmm. meaning of life?
1: Uh, purpose. I, it's funny. I was just talking about this recently. Um, is and, and it, I heard this in a really good, it was a podcast and it was a podcast called uh, Things You Should Know and uh, or it's Stuff You Should Know. I don't know one of them, but they had said there's this quote that Nietzsche had said, and it, and it was like, and I'm probably misquoting it, Um, but it, it, the idea of it was is, you know, they were talking like, well, maybe this is the reason why a lot of people are depressed now, right? And There's a lot more, or people are concerned more about their feelings. As Nietzsche always said, like, you sh- you shouldn't be working towards happiness. You should be working towards purpose. Like, when an artist is making a masterpiece, they're not happily doing it no they're suffering the entire time for when they get to finally stand back and look at it then they could feel some type of happiness but they felt more of a purpose and like and then that kind of got me thinking i was just like wait so what if that's the reason why so many people are depressed now is because of now everyone's all like oh just make sure that whatever you do in life you're happy it's like well happiness isn't always guaranteed You could have the best job in the world. You could have the whatever. doesn't mean you're going to be happy, but I felt like, you know, like if you had purpose, even when that coal miner back in the day, you know, like when you knew in the 50s, your job, your purpose in life, you were born in those areas to become a coal miner, right? And that was their purpose. And they took pride in being a coal miner. And you knew like me being a coal miner is helping the rest of this country keep lights on, keep energy going. Like I am a part of, that is my purpose. Even though, yes, I am a worker bee, but like, you know, that is my purpose. And, you know, people were happy to have that. And then now that we've switched from purpose to, um, we switched from purpose to happiness, now we're seeing more people unhappy, you know, or at least expressing that they're unhappy. And then I feel like because of, instead of finding searching for purpose, they are searching for happiness. And like you know, like I said, happiness isn't always guaranteed. Um it's and and I and so I guess the meaning of life, you know, in our world is more so, you know, you should find your purpose, you should find where you fit in, you know, and do what you makes you feel comfortable. And hopefully, by doing those things, it will bring you happiness.
0: Yeah, I mean, sense of contribution. I feel like we're here to 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 bring something to the table.
1: Yeah, and you know, and that's that's like my societal meaning of life. The meaning of life. I don't know. Like we're all probably just like a tiny thing, a cell in our galaxy is just a cell in a bigger giant monster that is walking Mm -hmm. somewhere else. Like I don't know. No one knows why. There is a time that I was on mescaline that I thought I knew the meaning of life and I felt it. You, you can't put it into words. And I tried and it's just like, I remember I was just like, I got, I got it. I understand why we're here. And it was just like, but I couldn't put it into words. It was just like, Oh no, it was a feeling I got it. And then it went away. I'm sure everyone who's been in that while they're staring at themselves in the mirror on those things, like you're just like, Oh, and speaking of here's my come here, Lully say, hi, here's Lully now at 12 remember brazil from build a beast and i'm a beast days. hey lilly hi hi oh you're wearing and it's funny she's wearing a los angeles hoodie right now
0: oh what a coincidence
1: (laughs) yeah she can't hear you because i have my earbuds in
0: oh okay um lastly um how would you like to be remembered
1: see funny okay when i was younger be like i always said like whenever i um That was like, I felt like that was my purpose almost was just like, whenever I meet someone for the first time, I want, I want them to remember me, you know, like whether it's a shake in their hand or something, like I want to be memorable. And, um, and it's funny because people now that I don't remember meeting are just like, oh yeah, I remember him. I know that guy. And I'm just like, oh shit, I don't remember him. And so that kind of like happened. And I don't know how I manifested that to happen, but I seem to be remember, memorable when people meet me. And which is a good thing, especially in this industry I'm in. Mean, but how I want to be remembered is like that, um, that I, I, when I get things done and cause is I, I, I was cool, not like cool, like you're cool. Like I stayed cool under pressure. I didn't crack. I don't yell at people, you know, like I am very level headed and, you know, passionate about what I do when I, when I get, you know, when I do them and, um, Yeah, just as, like, a a good dude who did some good shit, you know? Like, who, you know, like, I mean, I have a couple things already that people are remembering even as they get older.
0: That would be great on a tombstone. A good dude who did good shit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So good dude who did good good shit. Yeah.
0: I love that, man. Well, dude, I feel like we could talk for hours, but I feel like this is a good wrapping point, man. Thank you for for taking the time and sharing the stories of the culture, bro. It's been so dope seeing... Just the progress from see, meeting you in Kentucky to just seeing how, you know, we all, you know, stayed on the path of creativity. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I loved your pat, watching your path this whole way, you know, as well. Been there for some of it, you know, here and there. And it's yeah. been fun.
0: Well, thanks, bro. Well, dude, I'll be back in Chicago on Christmas. Hopefully I'll see you. We'll do a session or something. Okay. Sounds good. All right, man. Much love. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Don't be mad. Don't be
0: mad. I <laughs> love it. Alright, peace.
1: Okay, whoa, <laughs> look, they can never keep me down. I'm going. And if I ever fail the snow, I'll go again. I never quit, cause I know that every loss may lead to another win. I'm going now. Who the best in this thing? Tell 'em, get at me. Tell 'em. Tell 'em who win the fire say, get as me. who make it flip, make it bang.